sponsored by Zero Accounting Software, who proudly support female entrepreneurs and help business owners to see their finances clearly. For help in getting your business digital ready, visit xero.com. Good morning, slash afternoon, slash evening, everyone. I have absolutely no idea what time you're tuning in, but welcome back to the She Can, She Did podcast. I hope you're all well and having a super week so far. If we haven't met yet, hello, I'm Fee and I'm the founder of She Can, She Did, which for the sake of this podcast means that I'm the one chatting away to young female founders dotted around the UK and asking them to open up to me about everything they've been through behind the scenes, both good and at times beyond challenging, to get to where they are with their businesses today. For today's chat, I ventured to the city of Bristol to natter with 27-year-old Gabby Cox, a woman who I happen to have admired for ages, fell a bit in love with when she spoke at the first Bristol Midweek Mingle last October. If you haven't seen the photos of some of Gabby's facial expressions that she made while she was speaking, I highly recommend scrolling through the She Can She Did Instagram feed to last October and taking a peek for yourself. They are quite something. And knew from the minute I launched this podcast that I wanted to natter to Gabby on here. To set the scene for this episode, in her final year of university, Gabby launched Chroma Stationery, the personalised stationery brand that now customises diaries and notebooks for stationery lovers in over 28 countries around the world, as well as for corporations including American Airlines, Boots and ITV. Naturally, therefore, we spoke about her experience launching a business as a student and running a Kickstarter campaign as a 22-year-old when crowdfunding campaigns were no way near as common as they are today, her experience working with corporations, given that she had zero experience working with big companies prior to launching her business, and her personalised approach to influencer marketing that has led to the likes of Lily Pebbles and Zoella sharing her products, and how she's managed the transition from working on her own to growing and managing a team of six, again with zero management experience behind her. Having lived with Crohn's disease all her life and spent the first four months of 2019 bedbound, owing to the disease flaring up once again, Gabby also opens up about the realities of running her business when she suffers from a chronic condition that at present has no cure. Essentially, she's a massive inspiration. We had such a giggle recording this episode. Side note, apologies that my mic goes quiet on a few occasions. I think I got a bit too excited in those moments and moved away from the mic, so I'm so sorry about that, but you can hear Gabby perfectly and that's all that matters. And as always, I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. I feel honoured that I'm chatting to you. Oh, thanks. I feel like you've literally just had a rough 2019. Oh, God. So far, it's so. not been fun. Yeah, and you're no. like, right, back in at the deep yeah, end. Yeah, I've dived in. And then, yeah, now you're here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. she's back, right. Let's, uh, let's get this sorted. How yeah. are you feeling? I'm all right. Yeah. yeah, I'm okay. It's been rough. It's been a really horrible start to the year and an unexpectedly horrible start to the year um i have crohn's disease which i was diagnosed with when i was 16 and i've been really healthy for three years and then over christmas i started to feel really poorly again but i'd been told the likelihood of me getting ill would be really slim so i just put it down to like stress and overworking and all the things which i know that i do (laughs) and then went to the doctor and he they said the crohn's was back i was having a flare but because I'd left it quite a while, it had kind of gotten worse than it needed to. And they had to try lots of different things over that four, yeah, first four months. So I had an operation and now three weeks on, 
I'm back. I'm back. Oh my goodness. I mean, as an outsider looking at what you've had to go through, just on Instagram stories and stuff. Yeah. This is where, when you own your own business and you've oh. got to run a business, mm-hmm. I mean, how you balance it's, it all, I just it's, don't know. No, it's, it's been, this time especially, I'm not a stranger to being poorly because it's a chronic condition. Yeah. It has flared up at really irritating times before through exams and uni and internships and all of that kind of thing. So it's, I'm used to having to cope with being ill mm-hmm. and whilst doing something else. But this time was the hardest by far having to be self-employed and not have the security of a wage or sick pay or any of those things was really tough and it coincided with me hiring my first full-time staff member whose first day was on I was in hospital for her first day so (laughs) I was like hi like lying in a hospital bed not brilliant um there was like no one board of no onboarding it was literally like welcome this is your job and now you're doing mine too because I'm not here and so for the first two weeks she just worked remotely because I wasn't there and then I'd come back for a week or two off again for a week like it was just battling through with my parents I was went and lived back home with my parents so they were driving me the hour back to Bristol for really key things and then I'd be going back home again and that was yeah Feb yeah, February, March, and April. Right. Well, yeah. we will come on to all of this. Oh, you know, God. Yes. Oh, but yes. I'm glad that you're back. It's good to Looking be back. Looking at you here compared to your hospital self. Oh, it's a different it is. Thankfully. <laughs> Thankfully. Um, can you, let's go right back to the beginning. Yeah. Uh, we met the Mingle. Um, mm-hmm. And you know I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, can you please talk to me about what your business is about yeah. in your own words? Yeah. And we'll take it from there. Cool. So I founded Chroma Stationery uh, when I was still at university. It is a, what well, started off as, a, it still is a stationery brand, but it started off literally my final major project. So I couldn't create anything hypothetical. I had to actually realize what my idea was. So some people made magazines or they released collections or loads of different things. It was a really broad creative course, but I decided to launch a stationery brand. It went really well. As a, as, a, as a project. I, I think it's still going. I mean, it's still, go- the project is still going strong. And I did a website and I did all the branding. And I always say, like, I did all the hard work. It felt like I did all those nitty gritty business plan things because I had to. And then I handed it all in and I didn't know what to do with myself because it had been my whole life doing that. So looking for a job, I hadn't even considered being self-employed at that point, had not crossed my mind. I thought I would just go get a job after I graduated. Both my parents work. It wasn't even, no. When you're at university, it literally no. is you go and get it's assumed that you will go and get a job you will go and be paid and you'll work for someone and that's even though you know I was on a creative course so being a freelancer wouldn't have been unheard of but it was still the I you know most people were going out and having interviews and applying to jobs yeah. so I did a bit of that but loads of them were in London like the vast majority and I wasn't set on living there and I thought I can't find exactly the job I want to do and I don't want to live in London so what you know what the hell am I going to do um and it was my I think it was my dad who said well you know why don't you give Chroma a go like what have you got to lose people were still asking me if I had any stock left and there was this kind of level of interest I bought 50 and had hand embossed them with a hobby craft like foil embossing powder and this heater and I'd hand I still have them they just have two initials on them in like a set font with a stamp 
It was really crafty, but I sold 50 and that was just to friends and family and people on my course, but it covered the cost of having to do a lot of the project. And then I think it was mainly through social that people have been putting photos up and then I was getting asked, you know, do you have any pink notebooks left or, you know, whatever they wanted. And I didn't, obviously I didn't have anything, but I thought I'm turning people away here. Like this could be money I could be making. So I decided to do a Kickstarter and that was in September. September 2014. How old are you at that point? 22. I mean, doing a Kickstarter campaign. Oh. 22. And oh my god. And, and four, five years ago. At any point, but yeah, and four. Five it years wasn't ago. a thing. Like it, people, it, obviously, people were doing it, but now people know what crowdfunding is. They know what a Kickstarter is. At the time, I had to explain what that was, explain the business, and then ask people for money, and that was tough. That was I. Looking back now, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. So how, how did you approach it then? Because it's really difficult. I take my hat off to anyone that does a crowdfunding campaign. Oh yeah. Because you're putting your pride mm-hmm. on the line. Huge. It's like, hey guys. <laughs> hey. hey. Yeah. And if you don't, I don't get any. It's yeah. all or nothing. Yeah. So you're kind of asking people to give their hard-earned cash, and people reacted really. Some people got it absolutely, and they tended to be older. So my parents kind of age their friends because I think they'd worked their whole lives some of them were also self-employed they got it and they were like you know good on you of course we'll give you a tenner or whatever you know whatever it was whereas people my own age not all of them but some of them really kind of struggled to get their heads around it you know you're asking me for money to help you you know you're not a charity and I wasn't raising money for a good cause yeah it is massively yeah you're poor you know you're either still a student or you've just graduated you've just got your first full-time job like there's not that disposable income there and then you're asking for money to help (laughs) me out and that was really tough and like you know I did an event in the end which all my friends came to and they just paid a pound for this event and so that raised about 50 quid and that was great and I thought they're doing their little bit and I don't feel like I'm you know asking them for yeah and it was fun and we all got together and it worked really well but it was probably until more recently one of the most stressful times of running chroma how much were you trying to raise five grand okay so it's not a huge i mean now people go for a ridiculous amount of money but still but it was enough it was yeah Oh, I was, yeah, I was like, whoa, if I get this, I know, I mean, I wouldn't say no now, (laughs) exactly, but at the time, especially, I was thinking, you know, and I did no prep, so now, you know, there are whole businesses that are set up specifically to help you run a, you know, run crowdfunding, and I did not, I set it up, I think I did about two weeks prep before, and just did it. And then it was only halfway through that I think I was I had a bit of a a bit a little bit of a panic, yeah. But you got the money. I got the money. I went over by about five hundred pounds, okay. which was great, and that allowed me to buy a digital hot foiling machine, which meant that I could emboss um, and personalise every single order. Um, which was kind of what my dream was. That was the ambition, was to create stationery or products that were literally catered to the individual. They could build their or create their dream piece and I'd be able to realise that for them. So that machine meant that I could do any font and, you know, graphic images and layouts and I could really kind of do that as opposed to me hand stamping initials. 
It was, was a big that, step. I know, I can completely imagine. Was that when you kind of took it seriously? When that money came in and you got that machine? It was. Do you remember a moment? Because I'm just yeah. trying to put myself in your shoes. Mm. I started at uni and it's a project. Yeah. Do you remember the moment where it really did became, oh my gosh, I'm playing this seriously, this is my baby? Yeah, so it was the first time. <laughs> that was so dramatic, by the way. Oh, oh my gosh, it's a baby. <laughs> But there was, there's been a couple of moments which have been like that. The first one was when I actually got the money into my bank account. So I did the Kickstarter, but I didn't have the money yet. And it was a couple of weeks before that actually came in. And I remember, I think I went down and had a meeting. My dad came with me with my supplier, who is still my supplier now. And I went and met him and we looked at machines and I was, I realized, you know, I am actually going to be buying one of these really quite expensive machines. And this isn't just me going down to Hobbycraft and picking up some supplies, like this is real. But I remember launching the website and thinking, I remember saying to my mum, oh, you know, what if I sell out? Like I had a thousand notebooks. I was like, imagine if I sell out in like the first week, no orders, nothing, zilch. Like my brother, I think bought one because he felt so bad that no one had bought them. But so it was that real high and then an absolute kind of anti-climax moment. Yeah. I'm not the first to say that. No. I'm, I'm like that. I yeah. I hips up and just kind of have this like, yeah. ideal of what, because we're living in a world where you do hear the kind of overnight oh, success that's it. where like yeah. everyone got it straight away. Yeah. And, and you think, and oh, you know, they're a number one bestseller yeah, or, you yeah, know, whatever it is. Yeah. And you think, that's gonna happen to me and then absolutely nothing um and that's happened quite consistently where oh, that's it i've never sold a notebook but where i've i've thought i think it's because you put so much thought into something and so much effort and you've done it for weeks or if not months or years and then you kind of expect that to come back you know you expect the the views or the listens or the you know that the buying of the product but actually it takes people a while and it did and I remember thinking it was only part I was doing it on the side I was working part-time as a nanny because I could fit that in around work you know running chroma it just fitted really nicely and it allowed me to run chroma on the side so yeah that carried on for a while and that yeah that was four years ago that's amazing yeah if it didn't get the kind of overnight success which is the reality yeah yeah how did you get the word out there like what's been your approach to marketing because four years ago i'm guessing it was a bit different it was yeah and initially i had obviously i set up on my social media accounts had my website and i was posting on there looking back now what i was posting is horrific really random things that have nothing really to do with the business a bit of a pun yeah. and like awful filters and yeah. but I think it was more of an extension of my personal accounts it wasn't I hadn't quite made the leap I think in my head to this is a business separate to Gabby yeah. and that took a while but I had those going and I was I decided you know if I sent stuff out and I hadn't really been aware of people doing it but I thought if I send this stuff to other people who have loads of followers and they show it I might get some followers back or I might then get some orders and now you know influencer marketing is huge at the time i wasn't really aware of people doing it um maybe big brands but i wasn't you know i hadn't cottoned on to that just being a normal way that you could market your products and so i remember i sent out five i just thought oh i really like watching lily pebbles so i'll send her a notebook and i think it was about two weeks after i sent it i was watching one of her youtube videos and then she just popped up a chroma notebook and was like oh i'm just gonna use this and it was on video for about 10 seconds but she mentioned the name you know she mentioned chroma stationery and so i think you can personalize them then she just went on with her vlog and that was it but that night i remember being sat at the end of my mum and dad's bed and i had order after order after when my phone was going off and i was just laughing so i was like this is 
crazy and then it kept it kept going and by about midnight I was like I'm not gonna be able to do this mum like I'm gonna have to turn this off this is full on and I had gone from maybe six orders that month the month before to 60 70 odd over in one night and that continued every night for the next two weeks until Christmas so it was a huge leap up yeah. at the time and that definitely was the catalyst then because that got the word out to all those people who then posted and shared and then it just snowballed from there oh, what I love about things like that though is because we've literally just said about how overnight success doesn't happen mm. but like that story there is something yeah that people will probably remember from this mm. and i think it's always worth pointing out that you still had oh the, the bit before yeah people looking would have thought this is a startup she sent something out and it's just boomed I, yeah there was months before yeah. where it's like pointing out that you stuck with it before oh that. yeah i kept going and then i'd have a dip again because yeah. obviously that that level of momentum just doesn't stay mm. and so it would dip and i'd think you know what am i going to do now and it was kind of a constant learning process of how can i keep this consistent rather than these huge peaks of a lot of orders and then diving back down again and influencer marketing is still something i've carried on doing but i've definitely noticed it has far less i think because everyone's doing it well everyone's an influencer nowadays exactly and it's really I say in inverted comments yeah anyone who has a level of influence mm -hmm. um and so many people do and it's so broad it's not just if you have a youtube channel you know it could mean so many things and all brands of all sizes now send product and so it's really hard to get seen and i think people who follow and like you know normal people don't kind of i think they're so used to seeing it all as well it's almost like it's just normal now whereas before kind of to how it works completely well. we know <laughs> you know we know it's an ad or it's an affiliate or you know a sponsored post and so whereas before it very much was every now and again someone would just give a shout out and it was huge mm -hmm. and so it's much harder now to use that kind of same thing, especially as a small brand. If you don't have budget, it's really, it, it's a lot harder. When you said that the job then became, how can we make sure that this stays consistent? Mm. So what did that look like in terms of the strategy that yeah. went into that? It was a, I mean, I studied fashion promotion and imaging and my, the bit I concentrated on was PR and marketing. So I kind of knew what I was doing from a, I studied this at uni level. Yeah. But I mean, realistically, because I had literally gone from university to Chroma, I had no experience working in an agency, actually working in a real life business with a budget, planning anything. You know, I hadn't had that real life experience, which I think looking back now would have been so valuable. So I just absolutely winged it. I made everything up. I didn't track anything. I just was like, I'll give this a go. And I'd have an idea, I'd do it. If it didn't work, I might have another go at it that worked I'll do more like it was like that for 18 months two years where it was complete trial and error yeah. constantly and there was no real level of planning or no nothing I just made it up which I love when did you get the corporate um, so I had so I remember the first big one this is by the way what I think I, I have um, a lot of respect for the bringing in the corporates too yeah i mean it takes to a, a it's a another level, level yeah. yeah but it was it was i mean look now but at the time <laughs> i think the first one the big the first big one was american airlines which is, which is mental really. i know insane. luckily like you i knew i know <laughs> international <laughs> She's oh and that was about 18 months in 
two years in and I remember until then I'd been literally fulfilling you know Bob buying his wife a notebook <laughs> and like writing my hand notes in it which is lovely like Bob's my guy I loved those orders <laughs> even now like I love it every you know every part I love a lot of what I do but those are that's still my favorite yeah. those individual people and then American Airlines contacted me I knew someone who was in the year above me at school worked for them so he on my personal Facebook I had been shouting Kramer out and relentlessly kind of there was no shame I was just <laughs> plugging away for years and then I think he put me in touch with someone and they went for it and they'd ordered thousands of notebooks and that was my first huge big order and I think the penny just dropped then and I thought that could be a thing that I could do properly I could actually go out and sell this on a much bigger level just their logo just their logo yeah and I think it's a very tricky market and it's completely different to doing the individual orders and I think a lot of people when they're buying in court you know in a corporate environment or in bulk they have a budget things need to get signed off by multiple people they'll often be the cheapest person wins and so I physically you know I can't compete and I don't want to compete with the imported goods from China which are dirt cheap and low quality but they're often the ones that are gone for because that you know budget is budget so that's tough but I've definitely found a niche where my customers even though they're buying in larger quantities want UK made and they want higher quality and they want personalization so one thing that I'm I've kept the same since the very beginning is I don't put limits on what people can personalize so where some brands might say you know you can have your logo here with this font in this place and it's very kind of there's a limit to what they can achieve even though it's hard I kind of stand by anyone can do anything so even if you're buying one notebook or you're buying thousands you can do exactly what you want to to achieve and I don't put minimum quantities on so for the smaller one-man bands or the mid-range businesses that can't and don't need to or can afford to buy hundreds of notebooks they just need 20 or 50 or one I can fulfill that and it's that niche I think that bit that has done well was that order done via email yeah do you, I'm just trying to think of you on your own, you've been doing these kind of ad hoc as... Yeah, as function. it came in. Mm-hmm. You, you fulfil it. It's a different level when you're dealing with corporate. Massively. the tone of language, everything, there's a yeah. seriousness, there's responsibility, yeah. there's... Forms. Oh, shit, loads of forms. So many forms. And all of those different things, yeah. isn't it? And you've got to hold mm-hmm. the nerve massively yeah what did that feel like because it really does take you out of just Gabby doing her yeah and definitely my comfort zone massively I don't come from a corporate background Mm. I'd never worked in that environment I think to some degree although I would there was definitely more like procedural things you had to go through so forms you had to fill out or the right person you had to speak to I think I very much just was myself and it was almost like this is a bit of breath of fresh air because I wasn't corporate so I didn't kind of buy into I would I wouldn't go in and wear a suit and heels because that's what everyone else was wearing I would just go in and adidas trainers and like you know like I just always I kind of wouldn't buy into that and I think that in a way has helped because they know they're dealing with a smaller business and they don't there's a reason why they're shopping with me and so well it's box is uh, you know it's yeah, tick for them isn't exactly it? Supporting a exactly they they're you know they're doing a great thing and they that is increasingly what a lot of people want to be doing and the fact it's UK made is big you know it's much more we're working towards being you know completely recycled paper and very eco-friendly and all of those 
those things are just great for big brands to get on board with. But yeah, I've just never bought into the whole corporate environment thing. That doesn't, I mean, that doesn't mean I've not been completely intimidated because it, it can be overwhelming when, yeah, you go into those environments which you're just not used to being in and you kind of think, oh, why am I doing this? But it's paid off, yeah, it's paid off. And what, so it's just grown from there? Basically. So that was, the American Airlines order was two, two years ago, more than that, three years ago, roughly. And yeah, it, it grew from there, but very slowly. So I don't come from a sales background. I didn't know how to pitch. I didn't know how to get in contact with the right person. I didn't know what a lead was or a sales funnel. Like all these things now are just part and parcel of what I do. I had no idea. There's a theme here, isn't there? (laughs) Gabby has no idea and then she works it out. (laughs) And so I did that for about a year. I kind of muddled on through and then really gradually, and I think through word of mouth, it started to pick up. And then I joined the NatWest Entrepreneur Accelerator scheme, which I'm still part of. Which is where we're sat now. Which is where we're sat now in Bristol. Thanks, NatWest. Plug the NatWest. <laughs> and then that was 18 months ago that I first joined here. And I think it was sat down with like, I get one-to-one mentoring that's included. And I think uh, my mentor just highlighted the fact that you know, have you looked at your numbers? Could this be, if you put your focus on this B2B bulk stuff, could that pay off? Another light bulb moment. <laughs> and I, that's when I really stepped it up and actually put a lot more focus into that. And then it got to a point over the back end of last year where I physically could not do both. It was too much. No matter how many hours I was putting in or time and effort, I was spreading myself way too thin and I wasn't doing a good job at any part of the business. It felt like I was just trying, you know, fighting fires almost. So I bought in Taz, who's my first full-time employee in February. Yeah, she now heads up all of the bulk, the bulk part, all those customers, Taz is the person who now manages those. The sectors we could work with are huge. Everyone needs station, exactly. (laughs) Who doesn't love a bit of stationery? And there are real stationery addicts. If you get talking. I literally, I'd much rather every day I start a to-do list, pen and paper. Yeah, absolutely. And And so many people do. And even though, I mean, we use tech. I'm love. You don't use a notebook yourself. I love. Should we cut? Right, shall I leave? I love my iPhone and love my Mac. But I am a notebook fiend. Yeah. So I have there we go. Three, <laughs> I, I have three, three or four on the go. I never ever ever finish one, ever. I get halfway through and I think the danger of having so much choice and being able to see what lots of people order all the time is then I want what they the one they've got and so I make myself one of those. Perk of the job. <laughs> but yeah, pen and paper, it's just no matter how digitally everything goes, people still use it and it's only growing. So yeah, it's good. And Zoella's. So oh yeah, old Zoella. So well, she, so I sent her product. No, Zoella so who? <laughs> no big deal. But I sent stuff to her, product to her, I think five times before she mentioned it in a video. I knew she loved stationery and I knew that she was moving, an, I think she was moving offices or she was redecorating her office. And every moment I could think of to send her some, I'd send her. Send them through with a note, personalise everything. I took a lot of kind of care into making sure I thought, you know, the the colours matched the deco of what she was going for, just in the hope that she'd post. And then I remember seeing the kind of penultimate time before she did eventually post, I remember seeing her notebook. She did an office tour and the notebooks I'd given her were stacked up on a shelf, like behind her, all of them in a line. And I remember being like, turn around, Zoella. (laughs) Zoe! Talk about the notebook, Zoe! (laughs) 
and she didn't and I remember thinking oh you know like so close but I knew she liked them because she gets sent so much stuff but she kept them and they were on the shelf and she was using them and so I thought you know I'm going to give this another go and I did it in the run-up to Christmas two years ago and I sent stuff off and then all of a sudden my live web crashed the live chat on my on my phone and I remember saying to my dad something's happened you know some something big I couldn't work out quite what it was because that's the thing is you're not often tagged so I was then like on YouTube trying to find who's mentioned it and it was Zoe who had put it in her it was her Christmas gift guide for like gifts under 20 pounds so it was quite a big video she really spoke about the product she talked about what I did she gave a rough price and she linked it and that was then oh my god I mean it was chaos chaos ensued after after that what does chaos when so when zoe suck tags the product yeah on a christmas list yeah it's basically in the run up to christmas yeah christmas that's your busiest time anyway yeah perfect gift yeah it was it was mental so that happened in the evening i think the video went live about 6 p.m and then it was consistent orders coming in for about 10 days before Christmas and it was hundreds. I mean, I sold out, I had diaries released that year and I sold out 900 diaries went within days. It was thousands of pounds worth of revenue in 10 days from her mention, from her two minute mention. But that meant that I had to fulfill all of the orders in those 10 days. Yeah, like celebrating. Yeah, but crying at the same time. And it really was 18 hour days for 10 days with me, you know, that's what I was putting in. But then both my parents coming in from work, because I was still working from their dining room, both, they would both come in and fulfill with the original, with the original machine, the poor machine. And I was spiraling by hand, like it was full on. The post office opened early because I would be in the post office queue for an hour and 20 minutes every day to get orders out. Because I hadn't yet had time to kind of sort out any large bulk way of sending anything. So I would just drive up with my orders and get them all through, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I think both, that's where like the passion and love for what you're doing Mm. comes into its own. Yeah. Because as as you know amazing as all those orders coming in that's manual like oh, and that's, that's and there is manual. still i still yeah goal in sight. And massively you know that there's the money coming in you know, exactly yeah that's what got me through yeah. absolutely was that this is 10 days of full on and also i mean it's christmas i love christmas and i was aware that you know i have to get these orders out to people it's like an elf like i have to get this done by christmas eve because people are waiting for these presents and there's a lot of pressure Um, and obviously with more orders comes more people tweaking the address or you know not being happy with some you know all of those other things that come with lots of orders i was dealing with all of that as well um but that, yeah, that Zoella mention, you know, my mum calls it the Zoella effect because it was just huge at the time. It was massive. And again, though, took six, six notebooks, a lot of personal It took six, yeah, I shipped her six packages, yeah. I, I um, just speaking to a few, like, the, the amount that influencers get, and I yeah. Zoe just takes it to a whole different... Oh, I can't imagine how many, yeah. I just think nowadays as well, there's a lot of product-based businesses that get so upset and stressed out mm. like, you don't get that return they send yeah. the free products or they're not willing to send the free product that's but, it like you you've got to make sure that you do what exactly what you did mm. and personalize it and it, yeah. it's not the right fit don't bother because no not going this is it and i'm really picky now with who i send to and people yeah. often say 
I'm asked quite a lot about how I've done the influencer thing because I've done it and it's worked quite well with no budget and I can't you know make really cool packaging or send them on a trip like I can't do these yeah. cool things I'd love to do so it's making yourself Everyone stand out the oh it would be can you imagine if it's be the dream i'd go with them and can you oh my god i'd love that i'm there sign me up but it's hard when you have no budget and you know you're you're trying and you're so desperate for it to work and sending for a lot of people product is a big deal because i'm lucky because stationery isn't hugely expensive but if you have a a handmade product or you have something that costs a lot of money or takes a lot of time a lot goes into making those decisions of who you're going to send to but you have to pick who works for your brand it's no use sending someone something because they have millions of followers their audience have to fit yours and it's more like a collaboration than you know hoping they'll post yeah no definitely yeah you mentioned that you've only just got your first full-time yeah. team member on yeah board, but you do have a good team of, yeah um how big is the team now six yeah. Talk me through how you approached that. That okay. kind of growing a team, having yeah. your responsibility, mm -hmm. becoming a boss when you're still yeah. out for uni yeah. and into this little world of self-employment. Like, yeah. I mean, to me, <laughs> I always say, like, I before I left my old job, mm. I was promoted to a manager. They sent me on this big, like, three-day residential course. Yeah. You learn how you to learn do how it. To be a, uh, inverted um, commas manager. Yeah. And they, I mean, they overcomplicated it so much. Yeah. But I remember leaving that course and just thinking, like, shit. So Were you ready even at that point? Yeah. Even after I mean, three I days? I got promoted to a manager without anyone to manage. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the pay rise and the but no one actually to manage. Oh. Hired someone new. The dream. Um, but I remember just thinking, like, shit, that's mm. a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And if you hire badly oh wow you've got huge. a lot to deal with huge and that'll be a massive impact yeah. and even more now i'm self-employed that course is playing over yeah. i've got to make sure yeah when as and when i'm ready i hire the right person yeah and that's massive yeah go for it so the first person okay, so i I just kind of like went off on a tangent and I'm like, no, hey, no, no, Gabby, it's that? over to you. So the first person I, in inverted commas, hired was my brother. So that was easy. He was great. He's a freelance graphic designer, illustrator, animator. We graduated the same year. I'm the year above him, but I'd done an art foundation. So we graduated the same year. He was going freelance. I was going self-employed. I needed someone who could make the artwork and change logos and do bits and pieces like that for me to be able to emboss on the notebooks. So that if someone said, I want my pug on here or I've got this logo that I've hand drawn but I want it on a notebook he could do that bit and I knew he could do it really well he's my brother I was quite biased yeah. he's great and then he, he did that for me for about six months it was just him and then he started to get busier and busier so I contacted a girl from uni who was an illustrator and I definitely I mean even now as it's grown and I've now got three or four different art workers who all work freelance as and when they can when stuff comes up they don't do much work when they need more I send it their way my best friend from school who lives at the moment in Canada she does some for me so it's someone you know there's Lily who's in Bath they're spread out everywhere but they apart from a couple now they were all friends people I knew from uni referred yeah and that for me was the key thing I'm quite naturally a bit of a control freak and Chroma very much I think because it was my project and then my business and I really like hand reared this 
this business. For me to pass that on to someone, the trust had to be that I had to be sure they could do a good job. And I've definitely gotten better at that over the years. I think that's just come from being so physically exhausted that it was almost like, please take this off me. And I kind of got desperate enough to hand stuff over. And then where it's paid off and a job has been done 10 times better than I could do it. And that is important. It's you hire people who can do their job better than you could have done it. There's no point me hiring someone to do product development or marketing because that's the bit I can do. But sales or artwork, like accounting, those are the things which I can definitely find someone better. In terms of now you've got someone full time, Mm. what's it like knowing that there's, there's, that's an extra responsibility, massive. isn't it? Massive, yeah. And um, it, it came at the wrong time. Ready, ready. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It came at the wrong time. When I was hiring, and when I, it took four months for me to find Taz. So the hiring process was long, mm-hmm. um, but I'd had interns before which didn't work out. And I was really aware that if I make, like you said, if I make this wrong decision, this could be huge, not just because of the time and effort and like, the disappointment or no sales, but also the money that's involved in hiring someone. I, you know, I had to get it right. And I was really aware that there was a lot of pressure there to make the right hire. So it took four months before I even, you know, I even met Taz the first time. So it was a long, long process. And at various times I thought, oh, you know, anyone who wants it can have it. (laughs) But it paid off waiting. But it definitely adds a level of pressure massively because I always used to say like, if Chroma has a bad month, you know, what's the worst that can happen for me? You know, I could go get freelance work. I could go do this. You know, my rent would be paid. And now, no, like you have payroll to run. You have pe- other people's lives that matter. And I very much kind of build quite like a, it's like a community with Chroma. It's not just an employee. Like they're a huge, like integral cog. And so it matters that they're happy and it matters that they're enjoying their job and it's going well and they're getting as much out of it as I am. Yeah. And so that level of pressure as well is tough. And that's just with one, one employee. No, I can imagine that. Given that she's a woman. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, how do you juggle the being the boss slash that integral cog that you want yeah. to get on with? And yeah. Kind of, where do you draw the line? Because so, yeah. this is something that comes up a lot. Mm. And I feel like it's, she can, she is a predominantly female audience. Yeah. And most of the women I speak to seem to attract female teams. Yeah. I mean, it's just a... It is really hard, really difficult. And I think I was lucky in that I made those mistakes earlier on with interns, even long-term interns who they were brilliant, they did a great job, but it ended up being like you're working with your mate, Mm -hmm. not your boss. And that is really difficult. And I think I'm a really open person. Like I'm very, I don't stop talking. I probably distract (laughs) her. Everyone's like, honestly, you you joke but that is that, that could not be more true <laughs> i have to take myself on times out like i have to move myself because i'm aware that i'm distracting my team because i do i talk a lot and i like brainstorming and i have an idea and i want to talk about it and i that's how i work and i'm i love that and i would hate for my team to come in and feel like they couldn't talk to me or that they couldn't have time off if they needed to. And all of those things which I would really appreciate and haven't had when I've worked before. And so it's such a fine line. And I look at it more like they're my employees, like they work for Chroma, but I'm not their, I don't look at myself particularly like I'm the boss. It is much more collaborative approach to 
growing the brand and we all work on it together doing our bit and they all have a lot of autonomy they're the expert in what they do and so i trust them to do their job and i just kind of oversee it and make sure that it's going well yeah yeah that's good this podcast is sponsored by zero accounting software who proudly support female entrepreneurs and help business owners to see their finances clearly for help in getting your business digital ready visit xero.com let's talk challenges yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, we've briefly touched on the big a big one yeah what are the main bits and bobs yeah. that cause you a headache hell cause me hell <laughs> um accounting anything to do with numbers anything to do with finance cash flow all of those things are not things i was ever taught they are things which when you're a sole trader on your own are actually fairly easy to get your head around. Like money comes in, money goes out, and it's all my money, so it's fine. As it grows and you become a limited company and you hire people and you have your overheads go up and you have all of these, you know, national insurance and pensions and all of those things. Given I was never taught it, that for me is still now sometimes a minefield and you can't get it wrong. It's important that you get that right. And that for me is a really tricky part. And I have had to bring in an amazing accountant and I go to workshops and have my one-to-one mentor who help with those things because that for me is the bit that I worry the most about. Um, Aside from that, the mindset I think is my biggest challenge. I work, I'm very aware that I could overwork and I could burn out. I think it's just in my nature. I think I just work, I always work. I don't switch off. And I think that has been a huge challenge over the, you know, since launching Chroma, because that could be a massive risk to the business is if if I burnt out and I couldn't go to work and I was so stressed, I wasn't sleeping, that would have such a detrimental effect. But that ongoing is just a constant kind of thing I'm working on. Have you got better, any better at spotting the signs though? Yeah. Yeah, because I Massively. feel like even, I mean, I'm only coming up to two years into this. Yeah. I feel like I know when I'm... When you're getting when to that point. When it's bad day, yeah. I need to walk away. Yeah, I mean, but often... I push through at the beginning. I know oh, and I still, there are times when I still will. And I luckily, I work in this co-working space a lot of the time. And that has been the thing that's changed it the most. I've had people who will say, Gabby, go home you need to go home and I'll be like you know my inclination is to stay and push through and carry on working do you think though that I don't know about you but say that when Zoella yeah posted the yeah and you had all those orders coming in yeah if you were burning out then I put myself into that shoe I wouldn't have stopped yeah you wouldn't stop you push through that yeah but I think I don't know about you but now if say for instance at the moment I'm in an in-between limbo stage with between midweek mingles yeah when I feel like I'm stress now you can walk away there's an option there yeah you could if you wanted to at any point but it is something that your business needs yeah the run up to christmas is not the time to be able to burn out no it's just completely uh, and that's tough it's basically you have to there are times when no matter how hard it is or how exhausted you are you have to push through but it's also recognizing that that shouldn't be your go-to reaction when things get stressful because i will automatically push through and i sat down with someone they you know said they it really stuck with me it was a year ago or more and he said you know when things get tough when you're stressed go back to basic go outside do some exercise eat something healthy, drink water and go to bed. And it made me think 
when I'm stressed and when things start to get stressful, I don't do any of those five things. Like, I will stay up all night. I will forget to drink some water. I'll eat a takeaway. I will suddenly realize that I'm sat on my laptop in a dark room. Like all of those really basic things which just fuel your healthy mind, healthy body yeah. go out the window. And I'm really aware now, like, if I've not had a drink of water today, or if I've just resorted to getting a takeaway because I'm exhausted, you need to stop. Yeah. You need to take a day out yeah. and rebalance because otherwise it's just a snowball effect and you don't get enough sleep and you eat rubbish and you then just feel worse. I definitely think like all of those things are what, I, that it's crazy how powerful they are. Like, Massive. It, it, and you think they're just normal. That's yeah. just being a human, but actually, it really, it has a real effect if you suddenly stop and actually think, am I doing those things as well as I could? And it's almost like they're the things you can control. You can't control if something bad is gonna happen. You can't control so many things in life and in business, but you can control whether you're drinking water. Yeah, it's like, it's a basic thing. It is a basic <laughs> thing. I do need to drink more water. You know, I always think, um, you know Claire from Delicious Monster Yeah, Day? love, um, love when I interviewed her last summer, I think it was, yeah. we had a good chat about how powerful mm. a good shower is when you feel oh. like shit. It just washes like, it, it washes it away. Yeah, and you you get your goes, fingers in the hair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was like, when you scrub your feet, you know, you've had a bad day. <laughs> I'm like, if I ever, like, touch my feet, I'm like... Oh, Claire. <laughs> Claire, you're not. <laughs> Poor Claire. Yeah, I was going to say, like, scrap that bit. But, like, a good shower as yeah. well. Clean it all away. That's it. And at the end of the day, it, it helps. Yeah, and for me as well, I have a dog. And I will, as much as I can, I leave my phone at home. Or I'll have it on airplane mode in my pocket. And I try and be outside with Toby and being in the fresh air. And it could be chucking it down with rain or, you know, wind and storm and I will be out I will go outside because it it does clear my head that'll be it that will kind of it refreshes everything and I walk him at the end of the day and then it kind of it puts no matter what's happened in that working day that's it then yeah I feel it's like kind of like a little so like oh. I work with my parents just because the dogs are there yeah I can walk it helps but like last week I had the the most frustrating week with um, my laptop. Mm. And I remember just curling up literally on a wooden floor with the dogs. It's and amazing. I was just like, I just need a, a hug. Yeah. No, and I found this thing. Like, <laughs> I for a long time worked on my own and I yeah. live with housemates who were really busy. And I remember my brother came around and he gave me a hug and I was like, haven't had a hug. It's so long. And he was like, Gabby, you need to get out more. But it's quite to panic. It's been eight It's been eight long years. That is how I felt. And he was like, you know, put yourself together, like girl. Like, and I'm there. I just you don't have that. You just suddenly realise you're on this treadmill and you're not even getting human contact. And so but it really helps. And having a dog makes massive difference. Huge. Like I've always loved dogs. I grew up with the dogs, but I didn't realise how good they were just for your mental health, having a dog. Um yeah, I'm obsessed. chat about it yeah but when you are dealing with a chronic illness mm -hmm. like Crohn's yeah what what is that reality like knowing mm. that you know you could you're, get ill yeah, you could at get any Ill, time yeah. yeah I think if, like in terms of the, what's just recently happened yeah going forward have you got anything that you're going to be putting in place just in case that all happens again? yeah I think this time was a big wake-up call. I think since the last time I was poorly, the business has grown, there's a lot more riding on it, it's a lot more intense, and it made me realise, actually, I have to have things in place to be able to make this better. Um, How long were you out for? I tried to work, but really it was four months. It was four months of 
maybe a day here or there or working from the sofa. Sometimes I'd have a good week, but it was four months of not being on my top of my game mm. yeah which is a long time that's over a quarter of the year it's massive financially it's huge when it came to having Taz on board it's a lot it then comes with a lot of stress which no matter your condition if you have a chronic condition okay, no even if you're a healthy person mm. that doesn't help and so it was like a perpetuating cycle really and it was a really long it felt like a really long time to be poorly for and not be able to work and I think this time it's made me think you know I, if that were to happen again which you know, I'm 27, so Crohn's is a chronic long-term health condition. There is no cure at the moment. So for the foreseeable, this is something I have to live with, which I'm really used to, but not as a self-employed person. And that's different. It's, I have to put things in place because if this had gone on longer than four months or, I mean, it got to a point where I was like, could I, can I keep this going? Because if I'm just gonna keep on being poorly, this can't sustain itself. There's only a certain amount of time this could go on without me being able to work. but there are definitely things that I can do. And I'm working with um, a love, like loveliest friend called Jess who runs Wild co-working space in Froome. And so we've had chats before and I went and did a kind of meet with meetup thing with her at her co-working space, which was, you know, what do you do if you're in that position? If you're self-employed and you have a chronic health condition or mental health condition, what do you do and what can you do to help? And actually, there's not much out there already in place. You know, you can't often, if you're self-employed self as a sole trader, you can't seek benefit. You can't get insured with a chronic condition a lot of the time because it's chronic and they know they're gonna have to pay out. So you're uninsurable, you have no backup. And if you're a key person, what do you do? And I've spoken, I went to Downing Street last year with enterprise nation and we all had to have one thing that we wanted to kind of bring to the table and mine was that there's nothing really in place for chronic self-employed people who also happen to have a chronic health condition and i brought up thinking he might have things in place which i don't know about but he had nothing and that made me realize actually there really isn't anything and i can't be the only person in this position and i think i was fortunate enough to have an amazing support system with friends and family and people in the co-working space who basically rallied rallied around i had friends onboarding taz or my mum, you know, embossing notebooks after work, you know, all of these people would come in and help. If I didn't have that, Chroma would not be a thing anymore. And that would be gutting if the reason is because you're ill and it's outside of your control. So I feel like that's where I call them my little safety blanket, but that's where I would say to anyone launching a business, make sure you- That's my biggest piece of advice. Yeah absolutely and having that a lot of people don't it's really so many people people, i've met a few people where they're the first to say they don't feel like they've got that no i'm so aware that i'm really lucky that my parents are really supportive of me having quite like a non-convention an unconventional way of working like they've always been absolutely kind of rallied behind me yeah Yeah. and i was able to i've got friends who i've met in the co-working space who oh you know one of them i text be like i'm having an operation i think i was i couldn't go on my skiing holiday and i was going into hospital and i think he replied he was like don't worry i've got this and he was ju- i think he was just passing on messages to people and how you know but it was really small things and it's all it takes the pressure off because you can't do anything and you feel really helpless and so when people can rally round and help and just even if it's the smallest things that makes a massive difference but i'm so lucky to have to built 
that around Has me. Has it ever gone the other way? Have you ever had any experience, any jealousy or, mm. I don't know, snide remarks or anything you've had to deal with that you don't think is justified? Um, because in relation to being your own boss? Not so much negativity. It's difficult. If I have, it's come from people who are not self-employed. So it's come from people who are employed by someone else. They're working in a more conventional way. They don't get it. And so it's not their fault they don't get it. I don't get what it's like to be employed. But though it, when I've had comments, and it's not, it's, there's been nothing awful, but there have been just small things that you think, <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> ah. Those kind of comments or things which, uh, yeah, and I, I tend to. It's really rare that I bite back. Um, there are sometimes. I feel like you'd be feisty. It, if I get a bee in that's, my bonnet. Yeah. <laughs> if I, it depends on who it is yeah. and it depends on what they say. I, my main thing that I find really irritating is I've consistently been asked how much I earn. And if I turn around and ask how much they earn, people are horrified. That's yeah. not a thing you ask. Yeah, you don't, ask, that's you don't so meet true. a stranger and ask them how much do they earn and are you able to pay your bills with your, your job? Yeah. Do you have any financial problems? Yeah. It's not a normal conversation, but if you're self-employed, and I think I'm young, I'm really short, and I'm female, and so I go into some environments. That's that height was added in. <laughs> but no, I can actually see why. No, if you're in a room full of like even just averagely sized people, I mean I'm not that short, guys. I'm five foot two, but like I feel often, you know, I'm I'm dressed quite casually. I'm not, you know, a male in a suit, in a lot of the time. Oh, I'm never one of them, but I'm not, I'm... <laughs> in the spare time, <laughs> mix it up a little bit. But that's the thing, and I think, well, I don't remember what I was going to say. I just imagined myself in a scene <laughs> now. Where was I going? I've gone all off at a right tangent. like it makes a big difference i think that's the thing whether or not it does it could feel like it and i think in those environments i'll be very aware of that mm -hmm. and i think it's easy to maybe underestimate me and that along with being asked how much i earn is the biggest like that's a red flag for me if i feel like i'm being underestimated i mean the best thing you can do is tell me i can't do something because then i will find a way to do it i'm not good at someone thinking that because of my age or because of my gender or you know because I'm a nice friendly person that means that I'm not able to run a business and oh, I'm that's when you're nice oh. niceness is used against oh you. you're too nice I'm, I'm like that's like, not a thing I'm just like mm, yeah but I, I'm also really hard work yeah too. and I work um, my ass really off <laughs> yeah and I'm oh yeah it is really frustrating and i'm really i think there's this old-fashioned view that if you're especially if you're female if you're working in business you have to somehow be a bit of a bitch and you have to be really you know harsh and you have to go in and like tell people what's what, what. makes me a bitch is when you underestimate yeah and i'm like mm, like i love to think i could be sassy but i think people will just laugh me out the room but being too nice is something i hear a lot and I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's hard. That's that for me. Uh, yeah, the, those are the two things which make me angry. Yeah, yeah. What have you learned about yourself since launching this business? A lot. 
<laughs> so it's like a like a long therapy session running your own business. I think you really do learn, you do get to know yourself. Though, yeah, you? and you know your weak, you highlight your weaknesses as yeah. well. And I think I'm far more aware of those, and I'm really now aware of what I'm good at, but also really aware of what I'm not good at mm-hmm. and what I have to work on. And that's just as valuable. And I think I've realised that. I can have my personality and be who I am and still do do something successfully. I don't have to be a harsh, loudest person in the room shouting people down and still be heard. And I think I've learned that and I've, I'm cool with that. Like, I don't have to be that person. And I think I feel as I've, I think it also comes with getting older. I mean, I'm 27, but from where I was age 22, those five years, it's huge. It's a big, it's quite an important time. You're working stuff out. And I think I feel very comfortable in who I am. Um, the biggest thing I've learned is being, asking for help and actually not having to do it all yourself and that being all right. You know, you can, I'm still learning to say no to things. I'm a, bit of a yes woman I will want to help everyone I will want to give up all of my time to sit down it's not realistic and I've learned that through spending you know spending my money on getting to do something for someone else and putting a lot of time and effort and energy and feelings and into helping other people or doing things for other people and saying yes to everything and actually I'm that's still something I have to learn is that you don't have to say yes to everything you get asked to do Round this up. Yeah. I've been finishing all the podcasts with a few statements. Yeah. I'll start, you finish. Okay. Yeah? Yeah, got it. <laughs> I always explain it like it's all good. It's hard. Do you think you're going to do that? Do you understand? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I've got a lot of pressure, yeah. but I'm, I'm with you. Okay, number one. Gabby, yeah. Being my own boss means waking up every day and loving what I do. Cheesy but cute. Yeah. Love it. Cute, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's meaningful. It is. It's got purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Uh, number two, when it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to... Put your laptop down, turn your phone off, go outside, talk to someone, yeah. talk it out, even if you're ranting at someone and they have to just sit and listen. <laughs> my poor mum. Do that because you will feel so much better offloading it. Even if you're self-employed and you are a one-woman band or one-man band, find someone who you can talk it out with. Yeah. Yeah. And drink water. And drink water, guys. <laughs> Um, number three, if I could go back to day one of my business, I would tell myself. Keep going. And things will be tough, but you can do it, even though you have a chronic condition, even though you're 22, even though you do not know what you're doing, it will work out. Yeah, love that. Yeah. Number four, if I had to describe myself as a businesswoman, I would say that I am. This one I find really difficult. Yeah, most people do. It's yeah. I, I don't, don't think I am one. I, I don't. I've never seen myself as a business. I just one. don't see myself as one, but I am one. Yeah. But it's really it's, it's hard. That stereotype though, isn't this it? is it. It's, it's that kind of like Dragon's Den yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. Karen Brady. Karen Brady, it's like Deborah, like, love that's them. That's what I. It, and that's yeah. not yeah. what I am. <laughs> I find that one really difficult. Mm. How I'd sum sum it up in a word i find this one so hard i feel like what other people i mean i'm like what other people said i mean normally there's a few adjectives 
What are good adjectives though? I did have some, because I, I said the tats, I was like, this question, I can't think of what I am. I mean, so in three words. Not your stereotypical business. I'm not your stereotypical businesswoman, <laughs> but tenacious, um, kind, and- Which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. Really good thing. Um, and resilient. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There we so go. Nailed it. <laughs> Um, very lastly, number five. Yeah. I want my legacy to be that. That no matter what I do, what I create, where Chroma is and how big it gets, that I'm always making product and doing something which brightens people's day, makes them happy, puts a smile on their face, is something positive. Like no matter where it is, it still remains that. Love that. Yeah. And really quickly, I'm going to add a sip. You just said, no matter how big it gets, yeah. how big do you want it to get? I mean, the sky's the limit, really. Mm. I would love to be a household name. I'd love, especially within the UK, I would love to be the go-to for personalised stationery. If it is international, then brilliant. But for me, I'm so passionate about UK business and supporting independent brands, no matter, like that for me is at the core of what I do. And so as it grows, which it will, and as I hire more people, and for me being successful in the UK and still supporting independent brands and buying from them myself and Chroma supporting them and women in business and young entrepreneurship and all of those things which really matter for me that's what a successful business is and so as long as i'm doing that then I, I, how big it is i don't really mind yeah that's all right <laughs> thank you for listening to she can she did if you fancy being a complete star and doing your good deed for the day, please feel free to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes to give the She Can, She Did series a little boost and help others to find it. You can also attend the Midweek Mingles, the She Can, She Did event series for female founders and aspiring female business owners, featuring a whole lot of business inspiration and the all-important GNTs in equal measure. For more information and to book your ticket, head to www.shecanshedid.com. I would love to see you there. Thank you.